Welcome to the Grazing Grass episode. Huh. I'll try that one again. I left a word out in my um, script. Welcome to the Grazing Grass podcast, episode 34. Good record keeping uh, goes a long ways. You're listening to the Grazing Grass podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardage. On today's show, we have Chase Jones of Rizan Cattle Company. Chase is a fifth-generation rancher-farmer in southwest Wisconsin. And interesting about Chase is that he utilizes, utilizes custom grazing. As I quickly think back over our guests, we have not had very many that focused on custom grazing. And then for the overgrazing section, we dive in deeper on finances. It's a really good one. Don't miss it. However, before we get to Chase, can you do me a favor? Go to grazinggrass.com and sign up for our email list. It's on the right side on the webpage or at the very bottom if you're looking at the webpage on a phone. We are busy working to improve the website and make it more useful for the community. And we will be sending out updates about our progress to our email list first. Along those lines, we received a suggestion from Brian Lacko. He wrote in to say, I think it would be really helpful if you put together a reading list of all the books mentioned on the podcast just so they're all in one place. That is an excellent suggestion, and we're working on it. However, it's not quite ready yet, but soon it will be. Thank you for that suggestion. Enough of the housekeeping. Let's talk to Chase. Chase, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're on here today. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm very excited. It's a great opportunity, and... Uh, I can't wait to uh, to get into this. Wonderful. Chase, why don't you tell us about yourself and your operation? Sure. Uh, I am the fifth generation uh, here on our farm or ranch in southwest Wisconsin. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of the country where it's either a farm or a ranch. There's uh, just depends on who you're talking to in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fifth generation here, uh, sixth on the way and uh, so I, I farm with my wife uh, my dad and my mom are both uh, they are involved as well help out from time to time now that uh, I'm kind of running running the show here so the farm itself about uh, started about 400 acres uh, the piece I live on uh, right on the other side was purchased uh, during the Great Depression um, so it's been in the family for quite a, quite a while went through everything from dairy uh, to beef cattle, uh, feeder steers, pigs, crops, um, all the way down to, I think my dad, when he grew up, had nurse cows in a barn. So oh, yes. it was, uh, it, it's had quite a, quite a history. Um, so yeah, here in Wisconsin, we have, uh, hard winters and sometimes harder summers. <laughs> <laughs> this one in particular has been, has been interesting. Um, Are you getting a lot of that heat? It's been very hot and humid, uh, 
it's been very dry as well. We uh, don't do drought here. So if uh, I like to say, uh, if it's even a week without rain, we're looking at drought scenarios. <laughs> oh, no. When you put 90 degree plus weather with that, our grass just doesn't hold up to it. It burns to a crisp. So we, we don't have any of that grass that's really developed uh, unless you specifically go out and put that down, which which we've been trying to do to kind of get get ahead of that. Oh, yes. I've seen some of those temperatures across the north and they're just mind boggling for me. Now, we may hit some of them, but um, I think I saw 112 in Oregon and I was like, oh, wow. Yes, we, we don't normally see 90-degree weather in June, so uh, this is a yeah. bit of an odd year. It, that's more of an August, uh, later in the summer situation. Right, right. And sorry to interrupt about your, your farm. You can go ahead and, nope. with that. Absolutely. I, sure, sure. So going back, uh, it, it had a long history of, of all kinds of commodities grown here, uh, livestock operations from my great-grandfather, my grandfather. Uh my grandfather retired in, I think it was around 2004 or five, and he was really the last one that did crops. My dad and I, we both like to say we're, we're in the grass and cattle business. So as, as, soon as, uh, as soon as grandpa was done with the farm, the tractors went in the shed, and uh, it, was, it was in the direction of cattle and grass. So we went through that. Uh, my whole life spent with dad out in the pasture. Uh, we had a cow calf operation, typically a Gelby Angus cross herd. Uh, we put Gelby bulls on, on Angus cross cows. We're really looking for that, uh, standard commercial, uh, good feeding cattle. Uh, that's where things kind of started for me is we, we liked, uh, having big, tall calves that finished well in the, in the feedlot. We had a couple of guys that bought from us regularly, so we kind of had some feedback, and, and that was how most of my childhood and uh, growing up, that's how we did it, was cow-calf for the commercial markets. Um, going from there, we uh, definitely changed things around uh, probably 2015. We're big into rodeo, so I rodeoed uh all my childhood and growing up, my dad did as well. So we had the wild idea to get into raising Corriente cattle. So as you can tell, they, they're quite a handful. Um, I thought he was crazy too when, when he told me that that was his plan. Um, and, I, and a lot of people did as well in the area. It was kind of the talk of the, of the co-op that uh, there was all these horned cows out at the Jones, Jones ranch. So um, yeah, we, we sold the beef cows and jumped, uh, with both feet and everything we had into the Corrientes. That was a very interesting and learning experience. So we sold some cattle into the rodeo circuit up here and, and produced them for practice cattle. Um, that lasted about four years until my dad, uh, decided that he was going to retire from having a second full-time job on the farm because he works off the farm as well. So, um, but what I can say about them is, is one of the best things uh, that ever happened to the farm was those cattle, which some people might be shocked to hear that. Uh, but uh, it was interesting, and we're, we're seeing the benefits of it now. I think we're probably two or three years removed from having them. Um, it's, pretty, 
it's pretty rough and hilly around here. So if you, you see that on my Instagram page, there, there's a lot of hills. Um, most of those hills were just brush covered with no grass growing on any of those hillsides under the trees. Uh, the beef cows wouldn't go up in them. They wouldn't, uh, they didn't fit under a lot of the brush. They wouldn't go up there and, and disturb the soil. And it's kind of one of those things that I noticed in the last year or two as I walk out there and I check my pastures and I say, oh, I've never seen grass growing there before. Um, I see a lot less brush than we had before. And, and they would hang out in different places that I had never seen the cows hang out before. So um, I, I, it was quite a, a, a jump into them. And I, all I can say is it was, it was a benefit to everybody uh, here when it came to, to what they did for the land. So Very good. So you got the Corriente cows. What led your dad to that decision? You know, I'm not sure I ever got a straight answer out of him, <laughs> but uh, he had a wild hair one day and decided that he was going to kind of change how he did things. Uh, wanted to do something different. He raised commercial beef for probably 45 or 50 years. So he decided that uh, it was time for something new. Sounds like a good reason to me. I was going to say, I, I wasn't going to argue with him, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. When you had the Corriente, were you rotating pastures with them? Yes. Actually, uh, I didn't mention that before, but uh, once my dad took over the operation here, uh, we went right into the rotational grazing. I guess it, it's gone by a lot of names in the, in the past, right. um, but I've, I've grown up with that type of mentality. Um, he decided that he needed to be able to run more cattle than what my granddad did. And so he was going to find a way to do it. So that's how um, we got away from the crops and the set stocking. And he he kind of, he went to the NRCS office, he went to some conferences and then he came home and said, all right, we're going to start rotating. And it, it just kind of gradually became a, a regular thing where, you know, it started small, you know, two or three pastures and then we were able to get some electric fence up and divide some more so he really was the the start of the i guess you'd call it uh, better grass management on the property very good and there's a learning curve to that so absolutely um, i was talking to someone other day and they were asking me and i said the best advice i've got for you is just start <laughs> absolutely it it, it doesn't uh, you don't get anywhere if you don't start so no, you're exactly right. So Chase, are you all still running Corriente cows? No, we are not actually. We we decided that uh, uh, we'd sell those. My dad came to the family meeting one day and, and said that he didn't want to have a full-time uh, job on the farm and off. So he wanted to do a little traveling with my mom and, and enjoy some half retirement. Uh, so it was a it was a very uh, interesting conversation that that left some questions on the table uh, of where the farm legacy was going to go. Uh, it kind of put the pressure on me to decide if I was going to jump in because until then I was slowly buying cows and slowly working my way into kind of a partnership with him. And our goal until that point was to run as many. Uh, commercial cows or or the corrientes as as possible and and farm together so that was a a very pivotal moment in i guess my 
farming or ranching career and had to make some quick decisions. And, and that's how I ended up on the path I am now. Very good. And so what is that path with your cattle now? Sure. Yeah, we actually, uh, I did some research and, and was trying to figure out, you know, what kind of operation would fit my lifestyle and the time I have available. And I was newly married at that time. So I think my wife would have uh, had a few things to say if I had decided to farm full time and, and she wouldn't be able to, <laughs> you know, have any time with me at all. So, you know, one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, we spend all summer making feed for the winter and then we spend all winter putting that out and feeding it. So it, there's never really an off time in this area as much as you can try and, and get your winter grazing, you know, on point or, or even do any at all. You're, you're still going to have to have feed and put feed out. So it was one of those things that led me in the direction of doing more of a seasonal cattle operation. Uh, so I, I was looking into it and decided I'd start doing some custom grazing. I uh, had heard about it on some podcasts and, and actually a fellow that came up from Missouri who bought some of our Corriente cows. He actually did some custom grazing on some heifers uh, for some folks around him. And I thought that might be something that uh, would work well since I also worked off the farm full time. Yeah. So uh, May 1st, October 1st is typically a pretty good growing season, grazing season up here. Uh, you might get some later fall uh, grass growth depending on how cold it gets and how soon. So I my goal is October 1st. Last year we had uh, about two months without rain later in the summer. So cattle had to go home. Uh, two or three weeks early, which, you know, cuts into the bottom line, but I would rather not take it out of my grazing for this coming year by overgrazing during a drought situation. So, Right. Overgrazing has such far reaching effects that you got to be careful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And last year I had some uh, stalker cattle and I didn't want to keep uh, my client's cattle there for two or three more weeks with not much to eat. And I, d I didn't want them to go to the sale barn looking poor. So yes. I said, why don't you come get them while they still look good and we'll have them go there looking great. And my pastures will get a rest. And sure enough, we got rain about a week and a half later and the grass grew like gangbusters, but it was still at the time it was the right call. Right. You, you can't base that up on knowledge you gain after the fact. Yes, absolutely. We it was a, a a conversation my wife and I had as we drove around the pasture and said, "Oh, I think we could stretch our grass." And I said, "No, nah, I don't think we're gonna tempt it. We're just gonna call it quits now and hope we have grass for next year." Yes, yes. Now, when you decided to do custom grazing, how was that process? You you didn't have cows. How did you find someone to graze for? Honestly, it was uh, word of mouth and reaching out myself to producers in the area. Uh, there's a, a great producer that uh, is, is about half an hour away from myself. And I met, sent him a message on Facebook and I said, here's kind of what's going to happen with the operation. My dad's retiring and I'm taking on something new. Do you think you would have any cattle you'd be willing to put somewhere? And, and his, uh, to his credit, he took a shot and 
sent uh, about 150 head of steers over to me and it was uh, a good learning experience for everyone last year as the first year and um I'm very thankful that that he took that chance because it was, uh, I would say, pretty risky, but I think it was okay. So you get the steers there. Are they used to electric fence? Are you using an electric fence with them? What's the process to get them going? Sure. Yeah, so they actually, they came right out of a backgrounding yard down in Iowa. And so that there was no electric fence training. Uh, they came in. Thankfully, the way I have things set up, I put them in a, a smaller pasture that's divided with an electrified barbed wire, just a single strand, and the paddock's only about seven acres that they're in, so it kind of gives them a chance to explore, you know, their solid fence on three sides, and then it gives them a chance to get used to something being only one strand. Um, to be honest, they really didn't give me any trouble unless there was a, a, a high spot in the wire in, in one of the dips that they decided they would walk under. But once they got it used to that, I mean, I could have kept them on the roadside with one strand of the poly wire. So. Oh, very good. Very good. So tell us about your management of those stalkers. Yes. Yeah, so we actually, uh, I rented uh, from my folks, uh, our native pasture here there is about 90 acres um it was uh hills and trees and streams and then there was another 45 or 50 acres of crop ground that we've seeded down and so i had a pretty good mix of of grass and producing ground so last year during the drought uh the crop ground that we had seeded down with uh some more uh, few more hardy grasses um, they really did well during that dry spell so I was able to still maintain some weight gain on that um, but I divided it there was 150 head and there was uh, I think about eight or nine paddocks total maybe 10 if I uh, am remembering correctly and they were on a four or five day move um, depending on the grass level so it was kind of tight last year. There was about 150 head of steers on 126 acres. So it was uh, surprisingly through the drought, I, I did well and they gained well. And we had about a 21 to 24 day rest period, which up here is pretty good considering uh, if you get in water, your grass will grow and it will, it will produce. Um, I know in a lot of places uh, that's, just a drop in a bucket compared to the rest period that they require. Um, not that far away from here. So we're pretty yes. blessed in that aspect. Uh, from there, we, uh, like I said, I divided that, that seeded crop ground with a water tank and, uh, was doing a little experimentation with that. I, I made my paddocks, you know, the first couple times I put fence out and I, I put them in one or two day paddocks. And unfortunately that just wasn't enough time for me to, get ahead of them while working off the farm. So we ended up expanding them a little bit so that I had about three or four days to get out ahead of them and make sure that we had grass set up for them. So I think you touch on an excellent point there, Chase, about, you know, you're working around an off the farm job as many of us are. And as much as I want to do daily moves, sometimes my, my moves are not daily because 
I have to plan for what's happening on my job. I have to plan for what's happening with family. Absolutely. And you, you can change those, that time period to fit your situation. And that's what's so great about it because you're not, you're not losing all the benefits by going a few days longer. It's just a little bit different on your management. No. And that's exactly right. It's kind of, you have to adapt to what, your environment to what your schedule to what everything is going to allow um you can't do what somebody does in one place if it doesn't uh, fit in your scenario so um like i said i i would love to be out there moving every day but you know maybe in the future um i I do enjoy being with them and moving fence but uh that that's hopefully going to come down the road how was the performance for the stalkers on that four or five day rotation you know, I think it did pretty well. They they gained between one and a half and two pounds, I would say. Oh, okay. Um, I think I would have been able to do better if I had kept it down a little tighter. Um, what I the other thing I would do is probably not overstock my acreage um, quite as high. I think there was a little bit too much competition. Um, probably go closer to a one to one, one head per acre. I was at oh, yes. like 0.8 head. Uh, I'm sorry. I was at 0.8 acres per head. So yeah, I was overstocked by probably 25 or 30 head. So we, I think, suffered a little bit in the gains uh, there. But then we had the wild weather last year with extreme rain events, four or five inches at a time. And then we went into the drought and um, so it was, it was a wild season for those, those steers. And I'm just glad that everybody made it through, uh, healthy. Uh, I did have a pretty bad bout of pink eye come through the herd. Um, our area was hit pretty bad. So out of that 150 head, I think I had to treat about 65 at one time or another. And so it was, it was quite a year for learning. Interesting. I'm going to go on a tangent just real quick. Pink eye has been a hot conversation topic lately. Uh, I've seen it on Facebook. I was at uh, the South Pole Field Day. I, I heard it brought up there. Uh, I actually think Greg Judy just had a video where he talked about it. I've been hearing it everywhere about pink eye this year. And a lot of people are, are having a lot of trouble. And I've talked about, or things I've heard, different methods, whether you just leave them alone, whether mm-hmm. you doctor them, how, how intense is that doctoring? What did you do? And we realize you're not a veterinarian. So we realize that advice is not coming from a vet. But what did you do in your situation? Yes, this is non-medical advice, but uh, (laughs) we'll put that disclaimer out there. But it kind of depended on where the cattle were at the time. Uh, To be honest, there's uh, certain portions of the ranch that are quite a ways away from working pens. Uh, I didn't want to have to move the cattle all back there to get uh, a handful out. So when they were out there, we actually used a, a dart gun with uh, Draxon, and that oh, yes. worked fantastic. Um, now that's a little more expensive route to go, uh, but there was only a, a limited number that we had to treat with that uh, method. The rest of them ran them through the chute, uh, some LA-200 and a gene patch over the eye uh, worked wonders. I don't think we lost any, so... Oh, very good. Yep. Very no, good. no lost eyes last year. There was one steer that had to come in and, and stay in our, our lean tube because he had both eyes covered with patches because he had it in both eyes. So, uh, he made it uh, out with the rest of them after a couple of weeks and was fine. Very good. Um, it's no fun talking 
about pink eye or dealing with it and we appreciate you sharing about your experience with it. absolutely it was it was quite a deal i i think uh the vets in the area were talking about me because i even the owner <laughs> texted me one day and said how many of that those have you had to treat oh, <laughs> yes. I said, well enough we'll put it that way <laughs> yes i would agree now one thing uh we'll come back to your stalker program and how it continued through the season but so you've got them grazing tell us a little bit about your forages sure absolutely uh, like i said there's uh right now my operation has some native pasture this the sod that uh it was set stocked grazed for a long long time and over the last 25 years of of some rotational grazing in in some version or another we've improved it a lot um so there's going to be everything from red and white clover. Uh, there's actually a little alfalfa sprinkled out there, depending on what uh, washed off the, the crop ground when we seeded. Oh, yes. It's kind of fun. You, you get to see uh, some things <laughs> pop up down the stream. Um, then and there's anything from Timothy. Uh, there's perennial ryegrass, uh, some tall fescue. I think uh, one of the mixes that we put in some of our crop ground uh, had some Kentucky blue. Uh, Italian rye, orchard grass, and some brome grass as well. So pretty diverse mix that uh, I'm very thankful for it when you get those certain events that, like you said, you get some dry weather, certain grasses do real well, and you get some cold, wet weather, uh, you can bank on the other ones. Yeah, it sounds like a very nice polyculture you have there. Trying to. Are you using any pesticides or herbicides? Personally, no. We actually, uh, we don't spray. We do clip uh, pastures once a year, try and take care of the thistles that way. Uh, just oh, yes. a personal preference not to go out and do any spraying. The other part of the farm that uh, is rented out right now, uh, he's making hay off of the pastures or the field ground that I don't rent. And uh, he does a little spraying for weeds, but I think he's he's pretty minimal. So there's there's not okay. a lot of of mixing there but uh no we it's usually either a shovel or uh to not chop down <laughs> thistles or or uh mowing pastures so oh yes and those thistles are are quite the um opponent or um nemesis for us farmers they they surely <laughs> are they're they're a nemesis uh that i've been fighting since i was old enough to hold the shovel um <laughs> yeah because they always seem to grow in a spot that you can't get the mower or the clippers so <laughs> that yeah. is true yes okay you you talked about your fencing infrastructure what about your watering infrastructure yeah so that's a work in progress um a lot of our pastures, the existing native pasture ground has uh, some creeks running through it. So that that I'm usually pretty good at. Uh, this year it's been uh, pretty dry. We're quite a bit behind on the moisture level and I've actually had one stream dry up uh, that I haven't seen dry in probably 10 to 12 years. On the other hand, uh, once I actually seeded down uh, some of our crop ground, uh, I will say that uh, having that sod and water catching uh, ability, there is another spring on, a, on one pasture that uh, would only run in the in the springtime when there was abundant moisture, and it would be dry by mid-June. And that was the way it was my whole life while that was in crops. And right above it, we seeded it down to grass, and that spring has run every year since. 
all year. Oh, very good. Yes. Yeah, so it's one of my little personal uh, uh, achievements, I think, there that, that I like to brag about is that this, this spring is now a year-round spring, and I think it's 100% due to being able to catch water and retain it. Very good. You, and you had asked me about uh, some water infrastructure, and I got on a tangent about springs, um, which I, I tend to do. My, my wife uh, just rolls her eyes when I go off on, on my tangents about anything to do with the, the soil, water, cattle. Um, but uh, like I said, we, we're working on infrastructure, trying to get some uh, water pipe laid out to some of the field ground because it's, they're a long ways from any water points. So um, hoping to, to get some water lines and some tanks put out there. On those pastures, that's a long ways from any watering points. Are you um, making an alley back to water or are you just giving them a bigger area? Trying to, to do the alley, um, especially during the dry spell where, you know, it's not going to really damage the ground too much to have them trekking back and forth. Um, there was a couple times that last year during the wet spring that, that they muddied up the lane, but I, I really haven't seen any long lasting side effects of that. It, it's grown fully over in grass this year and, and looks great. So, you know, the animal impact is a wonderful thing uh, and, and seems to be a lot of senses. Yes. So you've got your calves grazing last year and um, it turns dry and you have to call the owner. How did that go, that conversation? Was he receptive to the idea? Did he understand? Yeah, so I, surprisingly, um, it was later in the season. I was able to get them within two or three weeks of, of our intended uh, out date. So, and, and he was on board. Um, I called him. I said, you know, hey, I would like to, to see your cattle go before they're, uh, they start to, to suffer and go backwards, you know, and in, in, in finish on them. I want them to be going through that sale ring because he takes them right to the to the sale barn and puts them in the, oh, the yes. fall sale. And I said, I want to make sure that you've got a good, you know, a good looking set of steers to go down there. And I think if we hit the earlier sale before um, we start to stress them, make them look for look for grass, I think uh, that'll be great. And he said, all right, I'll send the trailers. And they loaded up and took them home. So are you grazing uh, stalkers for the same owner this year? Actually, he uh, sent some heifers to me. So he, oh, okay. yeah, so he, he does, uh, he runs a lot of, of cattle on different pastures. And, and I think he had uh, some issues with bulls not pre- performing last year. And so he had a bunch of small groups of heifers out and one bull with each group. And if one bull goes down and doesn't perform, you know, there's a group of heifers that's not bred. So he, he thought it would be an interesting endeavor to send some heifers up here and get them all in one place, send a couple of bulls up. And so they're, they're here now. Uh, he's going to put them out here for a 40, 42 to 45 day window, and then he'll take them home and everything that's bred is bred and everything that's not, uh, will get sold as open heifers. Is it going fairly well this year? I believe so. Um, the cattle uh, came in in really good condition. Uh, they haven't lost any, which uh, I, was my goal is to make sure that they stayed, you know, fleshy and, and good enough to, to get those heat cycles uh, going. So, uh, so far, I think the bulls have been doing their job, uh, getting out there, being active uh, despite the heat. So I think, uh, I think it's going well so far. Heifers have, have been coming around to the electric fence. Surprisingly, they they don't 
like to move as much as the steers did last year. They need a little more encouragement to, to figure oh, out is. the program. Uh, last year I could have led that whole herd with the ranger in a, in a bucket with uh, some rocks in it all the way to town. Um, they would have followed me anywhere this year. The heifers are a little bit more skeptical about what we're doing out there. So they require a little more encouragement and usually a couple extra hands. Oh, yes. We, we talked about your pink eye challenge earlier. What other challenges have you encountered on this? Sure. So, uh, I think one of the, the big challenges, um, that, it was kind of the abrupt nature of how things decided to fall in my lap. <laughs> um, like I said, it was kind of one of those th- deals where my folks invited my wife and I over for dinner and they told us, Hey, uh, we're thinking of selling the cows and renting the farm out. And I said, okay, uh, let me go home and think about that. Um, my, my biggest uh, fear, I guess if I, is if I couldn't come up with an opportunity or an, a, business plan to run the farm it would go out of our control and somebody could come in and rent it and run it however they wanted to and especially in this area i mean it goes right back to crops Uh, it probably goes right to a set stocking rate and you know i hated to see all those uh good sod fields tore up that we had seeded down and i hated to see a stocking a set stocking rate back on our pastures and and kind of see them go backwards so it was you know, one of the challenges was was to try and quickly come up with a, va- a viable option of how I could do it. And we're, we're starting small. You know, I'm, I'm renting about half the farm. Uh, my dad was good enough to work with me, and he rents out the other half to a, another farmer in the area that, uh, and in the contract, he's not allowed to tear up the, the fields, uh, which, considering the price of corn this year, he uh, was regretting a little bit, I think. Oh, yeah. But, uh uh, he, he's been able to make some good crops of hay, so I think I think it's okay. But yeah, so one of the big challenges, honestly, was was the family dynamic of, of figuring out, you know, what's next. Balancing, you know, the previous generation, you know, they had to buy the farm, you know, so they still have, you know, mortgage debt against the farm, so they still need to make, you know, a, a living off of it. Um, you know, so how do you make sure that I run a business that's profitable enough to pay them a fair rent and while making it worthwhile for myself, uh, especially around here, uh, that crop ground that I would like to have cattle grazing on is, is in the 250 to $300 an acre land rent range. Uh, so I'm kind of, uh, nervous to try and get into that, but I'd like to, cause I would, I would really like to, to expand the operation, but, uh, that those are hard numbers to, to overcome when you're trying to pencil it out. Those would be, yes. I, I complain about, uh, land price or lease prices here, but we're not dealing with any crop land around me. So far different numbers. <laughs> yes. You know, and unfortunately, you know, we have some really good, good crop ground around here and it makes it tough to, you know, compete against the big grain farmers that, that are willing to pay for it. And I just, I just want to run some cows on it. Yes. You kind of mentioned this before, um, as you said, about more land, but where do you see yourself going in the future with your operation? Well, um, yeah, like I said, the the goal is uh, in the next couple of years to to phase out uh, the rent contract with the other operator um, and gradually take over uh, production and control of the rest of the farm. Um, 
my hope is to get into that uh, 250 to 300 head uh, range for for stalkers or or anything. I, I'm a little little hesitant to get into the cow calf uh, custom grazing. I don't know if I want to have to deal with with calves and sickness and stuff like that again. I mean, we did it for a long time, and it it's kind of nice to to not have to worry about them quite as much as the baby calves running around. So, yeah, that just expanding the scope of my operation to include the rest of the rest of the farm, um, develop some new infrastructure for water. Uh, gets uh, I'd like to maybe take out some internal fences and and play around with my poly wire. I've done that a little bit this year, which um, it's kind of fun. I've divided uh, a couple pastures up in ways that they've never been divided before. Uh, so I'm getting some really good in- impact uh, in areas that normally because of uh, typical fence design back in the day, you know, the cattle didn't spend much time there because it was a long walk back to the, the, the water in the in the valley. So just trying to be more creative with that and uh, get get cattle back out on that crop ground again, and because you can you can grow a lot of beef out on those uh, those fields that we seeded down. It was a, it was a good mix, and it's taken really well. So um, that and and my hope is getting into you know custom grazing and, and getting some cattle here that are going uh, more for the grass-fed, you know, grass-raised beef. Uh, I really love all the uh, opportunities that are in that aspect of uh, this industry. Uh, Seeing so many people get started through COVID with, you know, selling their own beef off the farm. I mean, it's it's fantastic to see uh, folks, even even young folks that are just right out of college, they they're st- getting a start with their their small farm operation, and, and they sell a little grass fed beef. Um, Wisconsin has a, a co op here that there's about 200 farms. Uh, it's Wisconsin Meadows uh, co op, and they have grass fed beef and grass fed pork, and you know they they treat it as a co op. They they take cattle in and pay a premium for. A, cattle raised a certain way and i think there's 200 to 210 farms that are involved in it so it's kind of neat to to have that market in this area so you know i i hope to eventually be able to contribute to that very good chase it's time for our overgrazing section a deep dive into something about your operation or practice and we talked about this a little bit earlier what are you going to talk about today Absolutely. I'm excited to, to get into this section. Um, it's always a, a good listen when we listen to your podcasts, uh, usually when I'm on the road. So um, one of the things that uh, came to mind was talking about something that was maybe not uh, grazing related because, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that can tell you a lot of things, you know, that know more than me. So I guess uh, I went back to my background as an ag lender at a, at a bank here locally. Um, wanted to talk about, uh, something that most farmers, I should say that I've worked with kind of dread and, and I, it's that shoe box of receipts, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, that sits underneath the desk for, you know, 11 months out of the year. And, um, or it's even just the pile of old notebooks that you put on the kitchen table. And, and, um, I've seen it all as when I go to ask for finances, uh, or financial documents, you know, I've seen everything, but, uh, you know, one of the things that that I found in my time working with farmers, working with 
uh, farm operations was, you know, good record keeping uh, goes a long ways. You know, there's plenty of guys out there that can tell you the lineage of, of that cow and every cow that came before her in the line, what bull she was out of, you know, what his, his dam and what her grandmother, you know, could have made and, and what they were. And, but they couldn't tell you if that side of their operation was making or losing money. Um, you know, I worked with farms that were very diverse, you know, they'd have dairy and beef and crops and, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to tell me if, if one had, you know, made money this year or the other, cause it all went in one place and it was just kind of a mess. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, one of the big things that I tried to promote when I was out there talking with clients was say, Hey, you know, take some of that, you know, good record keeping that you, you do for your crops and, and your cattle and, and apply that to your finances and, you know, it'll go a long ways to running a successful business because that's what it is in the end is a business. Um, you know, a lot of folks are, are treating it like a lifestyle and unfortunately lifestyles don't necessarily pay the bills. Lifestyles generally cost money, you know? So what a couple of things that, that I always talk to them about was, you know, make sure you get into to your bank or your accountant, you know, put together a balance sheet. Um, you know, it, it's just a really simple way to kind of track how your operation's doing from year to year. Uh, did you make progress on your debt? Did you add debt that, you know, it, it's amazing what can happen through the course of 12 months, you know, and, and if you don't, you know, track that, then you don't really know uh, where you're sitting financially as a business. You know, looking at things like the income statement or, or your cash flow, I mean, just taking the time each month to write down, hey, I sold you know, two trailer loads of cattle. Um, but here are the expenses that, you know, I wrote checks out for this month and just, just writing them down in a notebook. So you can say, Hey, this, this month we came out in the, you know, in the black or, Oh geez, I, I'm going to be short cash next month because, you know, I didn't have that extra, you know, load of cattle go, or I didn't get, you know, this dollar figure for my crops. Um, so it's, it's good to, to be, uh, a good farmer, but it's better to be a, a good farmer and a better businessman. Right. Being that businessman can, can keep you in business a lot longer. Um, Absolutely. You know, financial, financial sustainability is what I like to call it. Or, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, f you know, regenerative agriculture and, and sustainable agriculture, but you know, there's no sustainable ag or regenerative agriculture if there's not sustainable, you know, farm finances and, and if your operation's not in your control in five years. So true. And I love that financial sustainability. That's very good wording there. Now you talked about just to to paraphrase and summarize some of that, you know, you gotta know if you're you're making a profit. You get you need to know by enterprise. Absolutely. How each of them's doing. And um, keeping your records, you mentioned a notebook. Do you have a, a preferred way to keep your records? If a client comes in to talk to you, how would you love to see the the information? Well, to be honest, it, it I just, would just love to see it somewhere. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> not not just off the top of their head or, or what they can remember that day. Um, you know, QuickBooks is great. There's plenty of services out there that you know you can subscribe to and 
but you know, those take time and, um, a little know-how. So, you know, just a notebook. Uh, I like to use, you know, the, uh, the example of my folks that they have a notebook for every year that they were in business that they kept track of every month and they had expenses and revenues written down. So it doesn't have to be fancy. It can be a, a, a notebook. It can be a Excel spreadsheet, you know, just as long as you're, you're kind of keeping track of where things are at, because, you know, it'll pay off in the end when you can say, you know, this is working out well for our operation, uh, but this side isn't. Okay. Now, what do we do with that side? That's not, is there something I can do to change it? Is there something that I'm doing wrong or is it just not working for us? And, you know, there's, there's plenty of operations that, you know, could have been saved by, by making a couple tweaks here and there, but if they're not in a position to, to see those or, or to recognize them, you know, they're, they're in tough shape. Excellent advice. And one more question before we, we move on to our famous four. Um, you mentioned a balance sheet. Just yes. for everyone, can you talk about what information goes on a balance sheet? Absolutely, yes. So the the balance sheet is just a, a list of all your assets and everything you own on one side, and the other side is everything that you owe. So, you know, what it if you've got a loan at the bank for that real fancy pickup truck, or if you've got uh, that Cabela's credit card, uh, you know, that all goes on there. Um, you know, do you own 150 acres of land here? You know, that goes on the asset side. So basically, you know, it's just tracking, um, you know, what you have in your possession and what you owe against it. Um, you know, the biggest thing that your balance sheet can show you is, you know, if everything you owned was sold, would it pay off all your bills? Very good. An excellent summary right there. If, if, every, yeah. if, every, if you sold everything you own, would it pay off all your bills? Yep. Yes. Or would you, would you be in looking for a job to pay the rest of it off? <laughs> yes. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, deep dive into that for our overgrazing section, Chase. Really appreciate that. Sure. Um, let's move on to our famous four, the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. And our first question, what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Oh, that is a good question, and, and I actually have a stack of books here because I was trying to be prepared. You know, I've heard almost all of these titles on on previous podcasts, um, you know, books by Greg Judy, uh, Jim Garrish. Um, heck, I even like to read The Stockman Grass Farmer. Um, that's, <laughs> a, that's a very, a very good uh, resource. Um, other than that, uh, there is one book that uh, I purchased when I was at a grazing conference here in Wisconsin. Um, it's called The Art and Science of Grazing uh, by Sarah Flack, one that I haven't heard mentioned, but it's it's very interesting and, and a really neat book that I think um, any small beginning producer would, would benefit from reading because it talks about everything. It talks about everything from finances. It talks about paddock size and setup to types of grasses to you know, different from dairy to pigs to, you know, sheep and, and beef. So it's kind of an all-in-one book that's kind of fun to read. So plenty of pictures too. Very good. You know, one of the things um, 
I love in books are diagrams and drawings. Absolutely. Yeah. Something to look <laughs> at. And, you know, and, and the other, the other things, um, you know, I've heard plenty of folks talk about it too, is, is the beauty of the internet. Uh, YouTube is wonderful. Oh, yes. I've spent many an hour, you know, listening to a YouTube, you know, video or watching. I'm, Greg Judy's videos are always excellent. Um, you know, other podcasts, I, I listen to every episode that you've put out. Um, you know, there's, there's so many people doing these podcasts that, that just shed light on lots of different ways of thinking. Um, you know, Ranching Reboot uh, with Brian Alexander, Working Cows with Clay Connery. Uh, the Herd Quitter podcast is a new one. There's a, a fellow up here in Minnesota that uh, he's uh, affiliated with uh, Feral Cattle Company, and I, his name escapes me right now, so I apologize if, if he happens to hear this. <laughs> Um, I, I should know that too. And I'm drawing a blank on that as well. And I, I just listened to his new podcast he put out today. And, and so I'm going to kick myself for not remembering his name, but uh, the herd quarter podcast is a good one. Um, and actually an interesting one that, that I just started listening to was, uh, the roots and ruminants podcast. Uh, there's a, oh, okay. a two guys, I think they're from Iowa that, uh, are, have a more, there's a little bit more of a conventional take on on how to match cattle and crops um you know trying to get especially in iowa where there's almost no you know cattle out on on the field anymore i mean they're they're either in confinement or feedlots and you know they're exploring some some innovative ways to to get them out there so it's uh, a couple of really cool podcasts that they've done there so i'm not familiar with that one and you called it uh roots and ruminants. roots and ruminants Yep. Okay. Ruminants. Yep. So there's, uh, I think there was one of my favorite episodes so far was a, a, a fella from Iowa that he turns his uh, crop fields into uh, his winter feedlot for the, for his cattle and, and he plants cover crops and, and instead of putting them in a barn or putting them in a, you know, a dirt pen, he, he puts them out on the, you know, I think he fenced in 160 acres and, he said it's taking care of a lot of his foot and leg issues and oh, yes. respiratory illnesses. And he said the cattle gain just as well as their counterparts in his buildings. Um, so he said it, it's a very, uh, a very unique way to do it. So, yeah, I think that was episode three. So that would be a good one to listen to. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. Our second question, what tool could you not live without on your farm? That, that kind of varies day to day, um, <laughs> but to be honest, uh, my pasture map app, that's a lifesaver. I know that uh, Brian on the Ranching Reboot, his, his co-host there, CK, she does a, a good job with that uh, outreach with that app, and I'm a big time believer in it because it just allows you to, to track things. You know, you can plan, plan your grazing. For me, I was able to draw up some new pasture designs this year and and have the opportunity to say okay well that that looks you know I can get to water there and it's about 10 acres so then I can kind of plan my grazing accordingly and and track you know what size of an area they're going into um, I, I've even started using that feature where I take pictures of the grass as I went before I go in and I take a picture of the grass when it goes out and then it leaves a note there for you know, future reference of what it looked like. So oh, very good. Yep. Yeah. That, that and the ranger and a horse. Uh, 
and, and of course, I would I would like to mention that uh, the the first the first uh, thing that I probably wouldn't live without on the farm would be my my beautiful wife. So I I know I hope she'll uh, listen to this. Uh, so I want to make sure I put that in there. And very and... good shout out right there. <laughs> Great job. Shout out to her for for being a, a wonderful partner in this uh, crazy journey. So. What do you wish you knew now when you started down this journey or what would you tell someone just getting ready to start? Well, um, I think you and I kind of mentioned it earlier is eventually you just kind of have to start. Um, you can read all the books you want and you can watch all the YouTube videos you want. But uh, if you don't actually go out and, and start something, you're not going to you're not going uh, you're not gonna to get anywhere. You know, for me, it was it was kind of a trial by fire, so I didn't really have a choice. But you know, just try the new thing. You know, there's plenty of opportunity to, to learn from other people's mistakes, but, you know, you can't be afraid to make your own. You have to kind of forge your own path and, and see what happens as you go. Excellent advice there. And I, I just want to broaden that just a little bit. I try and make the same mistake a few times. That way I'm <laughs> for sure it's not going to work. That's right. You just make sure it was a mistake, and then, and then okay. I I I think uh, I think it was it was definitely a mistake. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Just gonna verify that. <laughs> and lastly, Chase, where can others find out more about you and your farm? Sure, uh, it's gonna be Rizan Cattle Company on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I kind of try and take good pictures and post things on there that uh, people find interesting. Uh, my wife is uh, pretty big on, on social media stuff for, for her business. And uh, she kind of gets on me for, for not putting out more content. So uh, I'm trying my best to, you know, farm with uh, modern farming with your phone in your hand to capture <laughs> it so that, uh, you know, everyone else can, can see what you're doing. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I suffer from the same thing. I'm not, you're doing better than I am. Um, my farm Instagram page gets kind of neglected at times. <laughs> it, I, sometimes I realize I, I look at my, my page and I go, oh, I guess I haven't posted anything in three weeks. They're probably wondering if I'm still in business. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Can't keep the people wondering. Chase, we appreciate you coming on and sharing about your journey and what you're doing. Uh, greatly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity and, and thank you for, for facilitating so many great conversations. And I look forward to hearing more in the future. Thank you. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. In addition to finding the Grazing Grass Podcast on your favorite podcast app, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we encourage you to share our post with others when you find something valuable. It's a great way to get the word out about our podcast, and we, we appreciate your support. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch.
We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.